Alright, well my name is Aaron, like Dustin and Caitlin said, and I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for coming this morning on this really chilly morning. Uh, yeah, and thanks to Dustin and Caitlin for just talking about that. So just about like how uh, they've been planting a new small group and what that's looked like for them. So, And very intentionally, uh, that segues into the topic of today's sermon. So for the first three weeks, uh, we've been talking, doing a short series about like the vision of River City. Uh, which is, as you probably know, if you've been here, it's growing in the gospel, making disciples, and then planting churches. So this, this is the church planting week here. So um, so my desire for our time together this morning is that our hearts and our minds will just be, um, just collectively grow together when it comes to the topic of church planting. Um, I am not naive enough to think that Every, all of us will be equally pumping our fists about church planting after hearing one sermon about it. Like, I've, I'm not arrogant enough to think that. Um, but my hope is that God will just move us all in the same direction collectively when it comes to church planting just a little bit this morning. So some of us have a pretty extensive heart and knowledge about uh, church planting. Uh, for others, River City is the first experience you've had with church planting. Um, hopefully that's been a good first experience. So, and the rest of us are somewhere in between those two extremes right there. So uh, for me, uh, I had one um, small but good exposure to church planting when I was in college, way back in the day, at UW River Falls, which is kind of like this little farm town right across the border from the cities, the Twin Cities up there. Um, so the church that I went to with my friends, that was, the first, um, that was the first church that I ever went to where like the gospel was really like, um, were, like really clear and I understood it. So... Um, so the church I went to with my friends there, um, that church helped plant other churches around the St. Croix Valley. It was like they planted one in Baldwin and Stillwater, Minnesota, and New Richmond, I think Somerset and Ashton, Minnesota, and Prescott. And um, that was just really new to me. Like I had never heard of that, any, a church doing that before or anything. So I'd never been a part of a church where they had done that. So the first time I remember hearing of that this church did that, I was just really like, so other churches sometimes help start other churches? Like, I'd never heard of that before. I mean, it's not like, you know, it'd be almost like an excavating company starting other excavating companies or something like that. It's like you don't really hear that too often. But, you know, it's all really interesting to me because, like, um, the church that I went to, like, was doing, wasn't, they didn't seem to be doing this to uh, expand their brand or have some kind of financial kickbacks or like financial incentives to do so, um, which was just really interesting because like, um, and this was really naive of me at the time, but I just didn't realize that, I just kind of assumed that each individual church just kind of was interested in themselves, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, it was all just really a big, a really good first exposure to me for that. Um, but in my years after college, my first big exposure to church planting was when I was on staff with a ministry called InterVarsity at UW-Platteville, right across the, across the river here. So to make a long story short, um, I was really confused about how to uh, lead a, camp a ministry on campus. So I get confused about a lot of things in life, but like this is one thing I was really confused about, especially. So, uh, so I just very quickly started immersing myself in uh, learning about church planting. Uh, I did that because in campus ministry, you're basically using, I mean, I'm really smoothing things out here, but like, you're basically using the same skills and philosophy on campus that you do in church planting. So you start a lot of things from nothing, 
uh, you make disciples, you create small groups, you create uh, an outward-focused missional culture, uh, you invest a ton of uh, energy and time into building authentic relationships with people, you pray a lot uh, that God would build something out of nothing. Um, so for me, uh, learning and implementing what were essentially church planting practices was really helpful and fruitful on campus. So for a long time there, like, I was really deep into learning about church planting, um, but it wasn't until about 2009 when uh, I was driving up to River Falls to visit my parents, and uh, it's a long drive up there because there's no straight shot up there, so like I was just uh, I was listening to stuff in, in my car, and one of the things I was listening to was uh, there was this sermon that I was listening to um, where this guy was talking about the call of the planter, which sounds super overdramatic, the call of the planter. Anyway, so basically what this guy in this sermon was uh, talking about was that there was various, he just walked through the book of Acts really slowly and just really uh, talked about the various kinds of ways that God called people to plant churches in the book of Acts. And... Um, this was just, and this is admittedly like really subjective on my part, but like that just really gripped me in a really unique way. And um, yeah, it just really did. And in a lot of ways, like that moment right there, like that was the genesis of River City Church in a lot of ways. So, so I'm excited about the, com uh, um, about the idea of church planting and the subject of church planting. First of all, because I think it's biblical, uh, but also it's just purely personal for me as well. So, so this morning, um, I'm going to be talking about four things, only four. Okay. So gonna be first, I'm going to be talking about the biblical basis of the priority of the local church. I'm going to be talking about like the biblical basis for church planting. I'm going to be talking about uh, why church planting helps us stay true to the Great Commission. And then I'm going to be talking about like what church planting looks like for us at River City. And this sermon is definitely going to be less than 45 minutes, so this is not going to be comprehensive. So uh, uh, don't just Google stuff. If you want a little more direction of that to learn about this stuff, you can find me afterwards, and I can hopefully point you in a helpful direction. So let's pray. So God, um, yeah, we just we know that your spirit is the one that brings unity um, just around around yourself, Jesus. And yeah, I pray that... Um, you'll bring unity, like, in whatever measure that you want um, for, like, um, just the proliferation of churches, like, through River City, like, over the course of, like, um, years and decades and everything. So, yeah, we just really ask you for that. Like, you're the one that does that. Like, I can't do that through, like, some kind of, like, smooth, well-thought-out sermon. So, yeah. So we pray that, like, it'll just culminate in just, like, um, just worship to you and just really prioritizing you and just, yeah. I really need you for that, and we love you. Amen. All right, so first of all, um, so I'm just going to talk about the biblical basis for the priority of the local church, for the priority of the local church. So the reason why I'm starting there is because if we don't have a white-knuckle grip on that, then church planting isn't going to really make any meaningful sense. Let's go to Matthew 16, 13 through 19. This will be up on, this, up on the screen. So Jesus is with his 12 disciples here. We're not going to suck the marrow out of the passage here, but just like, here we go, verse 13. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And when he says Son of Man there, that's just a phrase that Jesus uses for himself that's lifted out of like uh, Daniel in the Old Testament, long story short. So he's talking about himself. Verse 14, they replied, 
Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. This is where we're going to set up shop this morning, verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, which means rock or stone. And on this rock, I will build my church. So on you, Peter, your profession of faith, your leadership, Jesus says, I will build my church. And notice that like there's personal pronouns there, like I and my. Jesus says, I will build my church. Jesus is the one who owns the church. He's the one who builds it. Like he's, he's everything right there. He owns it. He builds it. The church is not ultimately built through your clever small group strategy, through your innovative missionalness, or your carefully honed leadership skills. No, he says, Jesus says, I will build my church. Like he owns it, he builds it, he gets the credit for all of it. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So one of the things that Jesus is implying here is that the church is an offensive weapon against the gates of hell. So a, a gate... Um, that's not an offensive weapon. Nobody t- picks up a gate and like, I'm going to pound you with a gate or whatever. Okay? It's, it's, like, it's not an off- like the gate is not an offensive so- weapon. The church is not intended to be on defense. It's a p- intended to be on offense. Not against people, but against the gates of hell. And if Jesus says that the gates of hell will not overcome it, like, there, there is a small segment of the book publishing industry that, like, really proclaims, uh, like, b- there's books that get published every year about, like, proclaiming the death of the, the death of the church. The church needs to change or die. It's like, okay, well, the church does need to change in some ways, okay? But, like, the whole, like, proclaiming the death of it, um, that's really lame. It just really is. So... Um, there was one book that was published a few years ago, like it had a hearse on the cover, and it said like, the church, will it have a, uh, a, fu- a future or a funeral? And I was like, man, like, um, so I'm not trying to be snotty or condescending about that, but the reason why books like that are just like um, low-grade ridiculous is because like the overall flourishing of the local church is an unconditional promise from Jesus himself in this passage. I mean, don't get lost in the weeds. Like, look at the big picture. Over the last 2,000 years, like, the local church hasn't failed. It's flourished. Like, Jesus isn't saying in this passage that every single local church is going to be, like, awesome and flourish. But no, like, like what he's saying is the overall enterprise of the local church, like, it's not going to fail. Like, stock markets and companies and nations and armies and just, like, all that kind of stuff, like, all those things over the course of time, over the course of tens of hundreds or thousands of years, they're all going to fail in one way or another. But, like, the local church, it's never going to fail. And that's because Jesus says 
I will build my church. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And keys are about access. And in this verse, like, access to the kingdom of God is given by Jesus to the church. And that happens through the church, like, winsomely and lovingly proclaiming the message of the gospel. Like, Jesus died in our place for our sins. Like, he lived the life that we were supposed to live, and he died the death that we were supposed to die, and, like, he... He is Lord, and like when we come to him and surrender to him and put our faith in him, like that's like the message of the gospel here. We're adopted into his family now. And it sounds like a big deal, like when he says, like, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And like Jesus is giving the keys of his kingdom to the church. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, verse 19. Whatever you bind on earth, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Cool. That's an artsy way of saying that what you do in and through the local church matters for eternity. What you do in and through the local church matters for eternity. Taking the risk to winsomely invite your coworker to your small group like making the time to meet regularly with someone to help them grow in the gospel, persevering and being on mission to your friends and neighbors and coworkers, helping host or lead a small group, like serving in the nursery, like putting yourself out there by taking the initiative to talk to someone you don't know, either at your small groups um, like, or on a Sunday morning, praying for the advancement of the gospel through your small group, making the time to bring yourself or your family to a worship gathering, even though it's so not convenient and super cold outside. It's like winsomely and lovingly just talking to your friend about Jesus, even when you're scared. Like whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus promises that there are eternal ramifications for what goes on in and through the local church. Like, here at River City, I, hope, I mean, if you're around for a while, like, hope you know that, like, part of our culture is that, like, we take Jesus seriously. Um, we don't necessarily take ourselves too seriously, okay? Okay. Um, that being said, we're not screwing around here. Like, there are eternal ramifications for what goes on in and through the local church, and that includes here at River City. So in this passage, I mean, there's a lot of things that we see clearly in this passage, but there's at least two things that we see clearly in this passage. So one, Jesus prioritizes the local church. So if you want to be like Jesus, like prioritizing the local church is part of that. Like if God does what he does for his glory and my good, then the question is, what's my hesitation for prioritizing the things that he prioritizes? Like, why wouldn't you want to give your life to that? So Jesus prioritizes the local church. And two, Jesus owns and builds the church. So, like, I want to be a part of something that Jesus owns and builds. Like, the church is always going to be, like, full of imperfections because, spoiler alert, you and me are involved in it. But, like, I want to tell you from my heart that, like, the prioritizing of the local church and the flourishing, like, that's worth giving your life to. Yeah. 
like the local church, like it is, it is God's plan A, like, and there's no plan B. So that's the biblical basis for the priority of the local church. So like with that said, so let's talk about like uh, the biblical basis for church planting. So, um, so last week, so Brandon preached the last couple weeks. So last week, um, Brandon uh, preached about the Great Commission. We, uh, we studied it in um, small groups as well. So Matthew 28, that's uh, at the end of um, the, go- the gospel of Matthew right there. So Jesus has died in our place for our sins. He's like resurrected. Okay, so he's, he's on a mountain with his 11 remaining disciples, and he tells them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's an important question that was outside the scope of what Brandon was preaching about last night, or last week. And that is, what did the disciples think the Great Commission meant? So what did the disciples think the Great Commission meant? Now, we aren't here to interrogate, aren't, they aren't here to interview them or anything. Okay? But the best way to figure out what they thought it meant is by looking at what they did. And what did they do? So they... They shared the gospel with people who weren't followers of Jesus, and they planted churches. They shared the gospel with people who weren't followers of Jesus, and they planted churches. Now, the nerdy way to say that is that they evangelized and they congregationalized. Okay? It's like they did evangelism and they church plant, planted churches. So if we look at the book of Acts, which is basically like the sequel to the gospels right there, so like it's what Acts is all about like what happened like after Jesus like rose from the dead. Okay, so like if you look at the book of Acts, like they planted a church. The disciples they planted a church in Jerusalem, and long story short, they eventually planted churches everywhere. Like certainly, the Great Commission is about more than just planting churches, but it's not less than that if we are to take the actions of the of the disciples to mean anything. Now. Some of you are pretty sharp, okay? Actually, all of you are pretty sharp. That was condescending. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, of course they planted churches back then because there weren't any. Duh. That's right. That is part of the reason why they planted churches, um, because there weren't any. But here at River City, but we would say that, like, we continue to plant churches because we want to stay true to the Great Commission. We continue to plant churches because we want to stay true to the Great Commission. So why is that? So everything that I'm going to say in this part of what of the sermon here, um, this is stuff that every credible denomination in America knows and agrees with, and this is stuff is not controversial or disputed by any means. So um, I think it's fair to say that the average person. Um, church-going person might not be familiar with this stuff, but it's common knowledge among denominational leaders across the board. So um, you might not know this, but um, so I work full-time here at River City. I also moonlight as the assistant director of church planting for the state of Wisconsin for our denomination, which is the Evangelical Free Church of America. Okay. Am I the assistant director or the assistant to the director? I don't know. All right. But like, anyway, so like I'm the assistant director of the state of Wisconsin Okay. Um, for church planting. So uh, so part of my job is I get to go to meetings with presidents from over 
uh, 50 denominations across America, and like they all get in the same room and whatever. You know. So, and the stuff that I'm going to be um, telling you here in a second, um, this is common knowledge in, in those circles, in those meetings. So, so uh, there are a lot of reasons why church planting helps us stay true to the Great Commission, but so I'm just going to highlight one because like we don't have three hours here. All right, so just, just one. And that is, new churches are the best at reaching the unchurched and the dechurched. So people who have never been to church ever, or they used to go, but now they don't. So new churches are the best at reaching the unchurched and the dechurched. So t- statistically, it is indisputable that people who are unchurched or dechurched are more effectively reached by new churches. So there's a guy named Tim Keller who's a pastor in New York City. Um, he's kind of the Yoda of church planting, so he comes to like some of those meetings, you know, that like I'm talking about, whatever. So um, this is what he said. He puts it this way. He says, dozens of denominational studies have confirmed that the average new church gains most of its new members, 60 to 80%, from the ranks of people who are not attending any worshiping body. While churches over 10 to 15 years of age gain 80 to 90% of its new members by transfer from other churches. This means that the average new church will bring about, bring six to eight times more new people into the life of the body of Christ than an older church of the same size. So if that's not staying true to the Great Commission, I don't know what is. So Keller continues. He says, as congregations age, age, Powerful internal institutional pressures lead it to allocate most of its resources and energy towards the concerns of its its members and constituents rather than those outside of its walls. This is natural and to a great degree desirable. Older congregations often have a stability and steadiness that people thrive on and need. This does not mean that established churches cannot win new people. In fact, many people who aren't Christians will only be reached by churches that have long roots in the community and the marks of stability and respectability. On the other hand, new churches in general are forced to focus on the needs of new people because if they don't, they will simply cease to exist. That's so true. Um, so one of the when Tim Keller was talking to us uh, in New York City two three years ago I can't remember during one of those meetings, um, you know, he, you know I think he said this when this wasn't being recorded so I think this might be recorded right now so this will be just between us here. <laughs> so um, so one of the things he said was um, you know because their church uh, that he planted in New York City it was about like thirty years old and he's like. Um, like, man, like, we were just reaching people and just making disciples, and people were really growing and everything, like, for the first 20 years, but he's like, man, long story short, like, the last 10 years, we've been in maintenance, we've been in maintenance mode, and he said that with a hope, he said that with hopefulness and compassion of just, like, I think God is, like, helping us turn, turn a corner so that as an established church, we can start reaching people again and making disciples, like, he was really hopeful about that, but even his church, he was like, Man, we've been in maintenance mode for about 10 years. Um, Anyway, the last quote by Keller. He says, in summary, new churches always have and always will reach new Christians, new residents, the unchurched, and the dechurched, 
with greater effectiveness than the long-established churches. And here's the kicker here. This means that not only will we need church planting so that frontier regions or people in unevangelized nations can become Christian, but also that Christian countries will have to maintain vigorous, extensive church planting simply to stay Christian. Bottom line, church planting is part of staying true to the Great Commission. And again, the Great Commission is about more than just church planting. Like, but it's not less than that either. It's about more than just church planting, but it's not about less than that either. Um, now, some of you might be thinking at this point, so wait, wait a minute. So, so are we supposed to prioritize planting churches at the expense of strengthening established churches? And no, no, no. Like, um, that's a false dichotomy. It's a both and, not an either or. Because if done, if done well, those things, both those things work together really well. So long story short, um, when we lived in Platteville for about 10 years, uh, so the pastors of um, five churches that were pretty like-minded and everything, um, uh, they all got together in town weekly at the one coffee shop in town. Anyway, uh, I, was, I got to hang out with them for 10 years. I was the young guy. Anyway, um, so collectively in that group, our, our collective plan with all those pastors there um, was to plant and financially support a couple church plants in neighboring towns. And the biggest reasons why, reason why um, we want to do that is because we love those towns and we just really wanted the gospel to take root in those towns and we believed in church planting. But the other side reason was that we wanted to do that because church planting was part of our revitalization plan for our own churches. You know, because we, what we wanted to have happen was we wanted to, for churches to be planted in those neighboring towns, and then we wanted to, like, have those stories just get shared, like, in our churches, and then in a good, healthy way, that would provoke us to self-examination, and then God would use, hopefully use that, like, to, um, man, for have us be open to new ideas, and, man, just, like, to encourage us to be, man, like, they're reaching, God is using them to reach people in that town. It's like, man, he, he could use us here as well. Like, if done well, church planting and church revitalization, they coexist really well together. It's a both and and not an either or. So lastly, like, what does church planting look like for River City? What does church planting look like for River City? So first of all, to state the obvious, um, we really do value church planting, and that's why we have it as one of the three parts of our vision. Hope you hope you gathered that. Um, and we consistently strive to keep the vision of church planting in front of us um, um, because we, man, we realistically know that if we eventually pump the brakes on like talking about church planting, um, we run the risk of it being something that we drift away from caring about. So I have a friend named Jeff who planted a church uh, 20 years ago. Man, 2000 was 20 years ago. Um, so he planted a church 20 years ago in Southwest Wisconsin and um, and these are his words, not mine, and he'd be okay with me sharing this, but um, he says, like, he just kind of stopped talking about church planting because there's just a lot of other stuff going on, you know? So he just kind of stopped talking about it, and uh, eventually what he noticed was that at the 10-year mark, uh, he had a, his church uh, just had a pretty strong resistance to the idea of church planting. It's like, planting a church? Like, why would we do that? 
And in Jeff's words, uh, there's nothing weirder than a church plant that's against church planting. Um, so, um, so that's one of the reasons why we consistently talk about it. But so our value for church plant, even though like we don't have plans right now to plant a church, that's why we're talking about it now. So eventually, when we get to the point, like in the years in the future, it's like when we do, um, it's like it's not like a weird foreign idea. Anyway, so. And also, like, our value for church planting affects how we allocate money in our budget for our church. So um, keep in mind that our entire budget is a missions budget, but having church planting in our vision affects how we allocate money towards domestic and international missions, and we strive to have our budget come in line with our, with our vision. So that's why we currently support three, um, um, three church plants right now. So some of the times, like, we have, like, uh, five-minute videos that we show up here of them. So the first one is Michael McKittrick and Ben Hacker, who are planting Eastside Church, which is on the east side of Madison. And, uh, yeah, they've been, yeah, things have been going really well for them. It's like they, they launched services, I think, on Easter this year and, um, or last year. Um, yeah, and, like, things have been going really well for them. Like, uh, so Michael has been Brandon's preaching coach for, like, the, um, for the last few years. And, like, yeah, so we just have a great relationship with them. They've actually supported us in like a lot of ways with that. So um, we're also supporting Tim Kimberly from, uh, who's planting a church in the metropolis of Collins, Iowa, uh, population 400. So Tim, uh, he, um, he was the pastor of leadership development at this uh, 5,000 person church in Oklahoma City. And he really felt called to planting a church. And like uh, the, the elders and the pastors, they were like, that's so great, Tim. What urban center do you think we're going to send you to? This would be so great. And he's like, I think Collins, <laughs> Iowa. Anyway, so uh, he's from there. And um, yeah, and like he knows everybody there because if you grow up in Collins, like you stay in Collins. And like, so he just, you know, so like I went there with him once uh, when he was up from Oklahoma City. And, and he just would like stop people on the, well, we were shooting squirrels and stuff too. That was fun. But like we eventually like, um, like, he would stop people on the side of, uh, he, he would see, like, in their yard or whatever, because, like, he knows everybody. It's like, hey, Jim, whatever his name is. Um, you, know, you know, it's like he knows him from high school, and, like, this dude has never been to a church in his life. And he's like, hey, I'm coming back to start a church. Do you want to come with you and your family? He's like, yeah, that'd be great, you know? And it's like, yeah, so they started, um, like, a few months ago, and, like, yeah, they've just been, things have been going really well in that town of 400, like, I mean, um, yeah, that's been really encouraging. We're also supporting Jonathan Mosier, who is planting uh, Disciples Church in Sussex, Sussex Wisconsin, uh, which is, like, outside the Milwaukee area. So they launched on Easter this year, last year. Um, yeah, and it's just been going really well. So, like, just things have been, yeah, long story short, it's been going really well for them as well. So, yeah, and we, we told those guys, like, when we started, like, financially supporting them, like, there's only one string attached, like, so it's kind of like uh, getting a gift from your mother-in-law. You have to like kind of guess what the string attached is. Well, you don't need to guess. Like we'll just tell you what the string attached is. You need to make a five-minute video three to four times a year, so we can just show it right here. And then like because like that helps them in terms of us praying for them, but also that helps keep the vision of church planting in front of us as well. So that's one of the reasons why we do that. So. Um, our value for church planting is also why we've partnered, we've, why we've affiliated with the Evangelical Free Church, um, which is our denomination in Acts 29, which is kind of a, um, a global family of church planting churches. 
So, so being part of like those networks um, and those groups, like that not only provides accountability for us, but also helps us plant churches in the long run. So that's why we've done that. And, uh, and our value for church planting also affects how we model church planting principles in the life of our church, especially when we plant small groups. And that's what intentionally why we had Dustin and Caitlin talking about that, like starting a small group. So, um, yeah, so like we want to, in a lot of ways, like we want to plant small groups in the same way we want to plant churches. Like we raise up leaders and we commission them and send them out for the purpose of reaching people and making disciples and helping people grow in the gospel because we care about people. And that's as opposed to like starting a new small group because like, ah, I just really want to hang out with these certain people, you know, until Jesus comes back. Yeah. Um, so like that's why one of, that's one of the reasons why we celebrate when new new small groups get planted. So, yeah, and and just to land the plane on this sermon. So just keep in mind that the main reason why we value church planting isn't because we think it's cool and adventurous and we're cool and adventurous people. That's not why. And like the main reason why we value church planting is because when it's done well, it's all about Jesus. Like, River City Church, like, it belongs to Jesus, and he's the one that builds it. Like, it's all about him. Like, Jesus is worth prioritizing, and he's worth remembering in all parts of our lives. As core, that's what church planning is all about. It's all about Jesus. Just like the big banner that faces Lot 1 says, it's all about Jesus. You're welcome, Lot 1. Right? <laughs> that's why we take communion, because, like, communion all about Jesus. It's like when you take communion, that's a symbolic way of remembering and responding to Jesus and who he is and what he's done. It's like your sin against God is so bad that Jesus had to die. But you are so loved that he was happy to die for you. And now he's resurrected and he's reigning with all authority and he lovingly commands us as both our leader and as our friend to come to him and surrender to him and follow him. So when you take communion, like it's not a religious ritual that you go through the motions with after the sermon. Like, no, no, no. Like, like communion is meant to be thick with meaning because it's all about remembering and responding to him. So the bread that symbolizes the body of Jesus, like the drink symbolizes the blood of Jesus, and those things were broken and shed for you. Like, just as church planting is all about Jesus, everything in our lives is meant to be about Jesus. So if you belong to Jesus and you've surrendered to him, like, go take communion. Like, if you haven't surrendered to him, you should do that, and then go take communion. But if you choose not to surrender to Jesus this morning, like, I'd encourage you to just hold off on taking communion, because you don't want it to be like some kind of inauthentic going through the motions ritual. Like have it with be meaning. So that's the invitation to you this morning to surrender him and go take communion. So there's two communion stations in the back. There's one on the left and one on the right over there. You take the bread, you dip it in the juice, you take communion that way. And like and just remember to be talking to him about that. About like where you're at with him and surrendering to him and like and making your whole life about him. So the worship team is going to be playing three songs. Anytime during those three songs, you can go up and take it. So let's pray. Yeah, so God, like, we're really thankful that, um, yeah, all of life is about you. Like, um, we're thankful that, like, 
you own the church and you build the church, like, it belongs to you. I'm so glad that, like, I'm not, uh, man, even as, like, uh, even as an elder here, like, I'm not <laughs> significant, I'm not significantly in that equation. Like, you're the one who's, um, yeah, who just, like, builds the church and makes it all about your glory because, like, you are glorious. And, like, um, yeah, so I pray that, like, um, you'll just really empower us to, like, in the future, to, to model church planning principles, like, in the um, in the multiplication of small groups, like what Justin and Caitlin were talking about, like, for your glory, um, for the good of Dubuque. But we just pray for, like, in the future, God, like, in future years, that, like, we would love to, um, man, just, like, be a part of, like, um, the planting of churches, like, like um, in the tri-state area. Man, like even in Dubuque as well, God. So, yeah, we really need you for that. We want to follow you into that, and we love you so much, God. Amen.